We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am your host, as always. And joining me tonight are my guys, Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you, man. I imagine you've had a a bit of a stressful day watching Rafa Nadal in the tennis tournament. So uh, how's it going and how did Rafa do today? Well, on one hand, it's stressful because he played a five-hour match and like had all these injuries and, and won. But on the other hand, I'm on summer vacation and I spend a day watching five hours of tennis. So it couldn't have been that stressful. Uh, and that's how you know I'm on summer vacation. Yeah, exactly right. So we got to get uh, we got to get Alex that 22 Nadal Chargers jersey that uh, Brandon Staley was holding up the other day. Yes, we do. <laughs> Tyler's here as well, man. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. I would never watch five hours of tennis, let alone five hours for one person, one match. But, uh, you know. All the power to you. I'm excited for this episode. Although at some point today, I realized that oh, yeah, like all these trades that they could do, and maybe this and that, and I just realized it ain't gonna happen. But <laughs> no, you know, it never does. It'll still be fun to talk about it. Yeah, I remember uh, last off season trying to talk ourselves into an Orlando Brown trade, and yeah. uh, thank God that never happened because we ended up with Rashawn Slater instead. So um, always fun to talk about trade ideas, and we'll kind of give a, a backstory of what inspired this. Of course. Baker Mayfield has a new home today as well, uh, being traded to the Carolina Panthers for an, a conditional fifth-round pick. So that's where Baker Mayfield's market was, a potential franchise quarterback going for a fifth-rounder after the Panthers traded a second, fourth, and a sixth for Sam Darnold. So uh, good stuff there. Does Sam Imagine Darnold how much the better he would have been if he just in... read the Chargers playbook. <laughs> does sam darnold have the best job in the nfl he gets to be a backup quarterback for 18 million dollars i i feel like that's that's chase that daniel paying him good god it's chase yeah. daniel on steroids because he's on there him and baker are both on the fifth year option they're from the same the exact same draft class well and i saw something on twitter today they can sign rosen and complete the 2018 yeah gauntlet <laughs> Yeah, so uh, very uh, interesting debacle going on up there in Cleveland, as is uh, kind of the norm. So yep. uh, today we are going to talk about some potential pre-training camp trade scenarios uh, or ideas, I guess you could call them. And then we're also going to kind of go up and down each AFC West division rival and and talk about some uh, potential weaknesses, potential areas that the Chargers and other teams could 
exploit throughout the season. So should be a fun conversation. Um, first and foremost, we'll talk about the trade ideas. And, uh, you know, this was kind of inspired by Bleacher Report talking about uh, the Chargers potentially trading for Makai Becton. So we had this kind of idea a few weeks ago, and then I was still on vacation, and then we wanted to talk about uh, a bunch of other things. So we will uh, talk about pre-training camp trade scenarios since training camp is about three weeks away. And um, we'll start there with Makai and kind of talk about, you know, where he's at, where what kind of trade value he has. And then each of us are going to bring uh, two different trade ideas to the table. So uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. Um, where where are you at with potentially trading for Makai Becton? Because I know that this is something that a lot of Chargers fans, of course, have debated. We, you know, we debated uh, the Orlando Brown thing for a long time. We debated uh, lots of right tackle options here. Um, you know, for what it's worth, Makai Becton has said uh, this offseason that he's been working at the right tackle spot uh, with Duke Mannyweather down in Dallas. So he is open to changing. The Jets do have George Fant. Uh, who also can kind of give them some flexibility. So uh, where are you at with trading, potentially trading for Makai Becton? Uh, I'm of the mindset that if he's healthy and he's fine and it, everything checks out with Duke, that I don't really see why you wouldn't at this point. Um, again, I don't know anything about his medicals. I know Duke on Twitter is consistently fighting for him that, yes, he's here, he's showing yeah. up, he's working out. So I'm going to assume everything is okay. The Chargers have really gone out of their way to try to take players that don't have a significant injury history or anything that really would, would take them out for a significant amount of time. Slater had the back thing, but that was kind of a non-issue and has so far been a non-issue. Look, the Chargers are a very, very good team, except for like three very obvious, terrible, glaring holes on their roster. <laughs> One of them is right tackle. And look, we were desperate for anything. We would have taken Moses on a $4 million contract, $3.5 million contract, whatever it was, yes. anything else, anything else. So, you know, is Becton better than Norton? Yes. Therefore, I would love to have him on the roster. And that, that's kind of how simple it is for me. If everything checks out and we're not getting another Balaga situation, I don't see the downside really. Yeah. Um, it would be an interesting trade. I'm curious what his value is at this point. Um, right. What was the trade compensation in that Bleacher Report article? Um, uh, it was had... a it was a future second round pick and then a future day three pick. So I believe it was basically a 2022 or 2023, excuse me, second rounder and then a 2024 like fifth or sixth or something like that. Ooh, second rounder is kind of an awful lot. Um, I. I I'm not against it if it's the right compensation, but at the same time, I'm curious how much leverage the Jets have in this scenario because, I mean, right now as it stands, he's currently kind of a cut candidate uh, on their team based on the, the reporting so far. So if if there's a chance, and obviously it depends on how the preseason goes, that the Jets do move on from him, then like, do you just kind of wait till he hits free agency if you're the Chargers, or do you want to like lock him down now and, and spend a compensation next year? There are other tackle options I think I would pursue first before I go for Becton, and I'll mention one of them in my trade scenarios. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind uh, Makai Becton for the same reasons Tyler said. As long as you have a higher ceiling this year than Storm Norton and Trey Pipkins, yeah. 
then right. and and going forward because he's under contract for one more year after this one um then i think that that would be a decent investment for the chargers yeah i mean from a trade perspective right like i think if you are looking at it from a perspective that you're potentially getting a franchise right tackle you right. are not necessarily giving up a ton because he has been injured there's always been the weight issues uh perceived weight issues i should say although duke has always said that there it's a kind of a non-starter um so if, if you're potentially giving up a second rounder and then a future day three pick then you know i, I think you have to consider that of course but you know there's a lot of risk here involved and i think you know the chargers offensive line coach situation uh kind of remains to be seen obviously we know what we have in uh sean surratt after a year of of him being with the chargers and hearing from oday and some of the other players in press conferences how much they value and respect him but you know brendan nugent is a, is only a second year offensive line coach he's mostly been an assistant up until last year which uh the saints were kind of devastated by injuries and then this year will be his second year. So there is some risk there just from a charger standpoint and a coaching staff standpoint. Of course, Mekhi Becton would be a potential upgrade um, over what the chargers have. I just, I would kind of have to really try and negotiate that trade cost down for me. Um, but you are talking about a player who only gave up 23 pressures as a rookie, although his pass blocking efficiency rating was not great. I want to say it was like 96.2, uh, which was in the fifties out of qualified tackles that season. So um, still a lot of refinement that needs to happen from Makai Becton. There's an injury history, there's weight loss issues. So I think it's a good idea in theory, obviously, but I, I would need more information before I would be in favor of that trade or not. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. So I, Alex said he has an offensive tackle. I have an offensive tackle. Tyler, oh, you please don't take mine. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to take it. Okay. Somebody go. Um, okay. So uh, like I said, each of us are going to give two other uh, trade scenarios or trade ideas that we could float around and discuss. It's all three of us have an offensive tackle. And so uh, kind of give you, gives you a site to uh, an insight into where we're at. So, Alex, we uh, discussed a little bit on, on Messenger today about a certain tackle. I'm wondering uh, if that person is the player that you chose to talk about here. Yeah, I mean, it's the 15th year of Andre Dillard's <laughs> rumors. Uh, I, I just think it makes a lot of sense for the Chargers. Obviously, he's kind of naturally played left tackle, and so you would have to switch him over to right. But he's played some snaps uh, at right tackle before. Uh, last year on 340 snaps, he gave up 20 pressures and a sack, which I mean, at 5% pressure rate, that is much better than what you're getting out of Norton and Pipkins, obviously. And you really have him for a year. Uh, and depending on what you want to do on right tackle in the future, you can either kind of re-sign him based on the year, or you can kind of let him walk for a comp pick, right? So I, to me, it makes a lot of sense. I don't think the Eagles would be asking for much more than a day three pick probably, um, you know, for with one year left on his deal, plug him in as a starter. And I think based on the season he had last year uh, on a pretty decent sample size, even though he wasn't a starter, you feel much better about that spot. Uh, I believe he had a 65 uh, run blocking grade in the 70s in the pass blocking category as well on PFF. Um, and so I think he's just a really solid and 
would raise what the floor of this offensive line is. And then you don't have to have any conversations necessarily about moving Matt Filer over. You can just start him next to Zion Johnson. And I think it would be a pretty seamless fit. Obviously we talked about the, you know, switching positions thing from left tackle to right tackle, but um, you know, I, I think it works out for both teams. Eagles get a late day mm-hmm. three pick chargers don't have to go through the Norton Pipkins experiment and get a relatively proven commodity. Uh, and then, you know, based on how things work out in the future, we can kind of play it out from there. But uh, I think it kind of makes sense for both sides. Yeah, I would agree there. What was the, remind me again, what was the connection between Staley and Sirianni? Wasn't there some sort of little connection that they had or was it the defensive coordinator? Uh, it's there. He's best friends with the defensive coordinator, John. Yeah. Cannon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that basically doesn't mean anything. Cool. No. I'm glad I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it means a little bit, right? Like, I think you could, you know, at least start a conversation with him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the Eagles are obviously in, a, in an interesting situation here when it comes to the depth chart. Uh, they've got this really interesting blend of like young guys and older veterans. And so there's a, there's a couple players on their offensive line that I think could be, you know, trade targets for anyone, not just the Chargers. You can, yeah, potentially talk yourself into Jack Driscoll, of course, who uh, it kind of started in fa- in place of uh, Brandon Brooks throughout the last couple seasons when he was injured. Um, you can talk about Isaac Seumelo, Seumalo, excuse me. Um, so those are some guards, obviously. But when it comes to Andre Dillard, I do feel like they would be okay with their depth if they would trade him. And of course, you know, they've kind of held on to him this long right but i think they've kind of been in a weird spot in terms of his trade value because he hasn't played there's always been the questions as kevin points out about his play strength is he a left tackle can he play right tackle all that good stuff but he's he i feel like he squashed that those concerns last year and, yeah. and he did he was able to switch sides and i think from a purely athletic standpoint you know you're talking about till you're talking about tillery <laughs> in the comments you're talking about Andre Dillard and Zion Johnson being one of the more athletic right sides of an offensive line so I think of all of the offensive line tackle prospects that the Chargers could potentially trade for I feel like Dillard would be my favorite one he's not the one that I mentioned because I figured Alex would mention him but uh, I, I would definitely be in favor of exploring Andre uh, trade for Andre Dillard for sure mm-hmm. okay Steven I want you to go the next I don't want to go next Okay, so <laughs> my uh, my offensive tackle, right tackle specifically, trade target is uh, Jawan Taylor from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, okay, okay. Um, he had a, a very rough 2020, uh, allowed 58 total pressures and had a 95 pass blocking efficiency. Uh, he's kind of a lousy run blocker. He was the second <laughs> worst run blocker. I know I'm doing a great job selling him. It's really um, he was the second worst <laughs> run blocker in the league in 2020 as well. But he took a nice little leap last season, despite everything around him going wrong. Um, and so we went from 58 pressures allowed to only 34 total pressures allowed, which tied him with Billy Turner and Colton Miller for the 25th most in the league. Uh, and he had a pass blocking efficiency rating in 2021 of 97 so he he jumped up essentially two points there and was tied with jordan mylata and andrew brown for the 20th best in the league so he took a nice little leap to becoming a serviceable offensive tackle the issue is that he was so bad in 2020 that they went out and drafted walker little in the second round last year Mm -hmm. so 
they have a bit of a log jam. They obviously franchised uh, Cam Robinson to be their left tackle this past season. Um, so I think this is a worthwhile scenario to mention because he seems to be hitting his stride. We know how valuable that is to the Chargers. They've talked about that throughout free agency, throughout trading and acquiring players who are you know hitting their strides as players as opposed to uh, being on the tail end of their careers, which is a, is a nice change from the previous regime. Um, but I think you're talking about a player who um, has not a high of an upside as Andre Dillard, I think, but he would be cheaper. You know, you're talking about the Jaguars who frankly need uh, need any kind of draft compensation possible. So I think you could uh, talk yourself into him there. He is uh, a year younger as well. He has two years left on his rookie contract or one year, excuse mm-hmm. me, um, as opposed to J- Dillard being on his last uh, year on the rookie contract right now. So you have some flexibility there financially as well. So uh, Jawan Taylor would be my choice here just because I think it would not necessarily move the needle. I think, like I said, his ceiling is a little bit lower than Andre Dillard, but financially I think it makes a lot of sense and you could get him for a, a pretty cheap pick, I feel like as well. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Taylor was the guy I thought I wanted at 28 or whatever, but they ended up going with Tillery. Uh, I really don't know what would yeah. have ended up being worse. I, I really don't. Although I suppose going to Jacksonville isn't really the best way to kick off your career. Right. And he's had um, three different offensive line coach or two different offensive line coaches so far. Yeah, no, that isn't, uh, doesn't sound like a good start. Well, I'm glad you guys talked about players with names that I knew. Um, <laughs> my guy, I, I didn't hear about, didn't know he existed until today uh he has a 0.48 ras score <laughs> so mm. yeah you know <laughs> is this the part where like in shark, in shark tank where mark cuban like pretends to write on a piece of paper wow 0.48 yeah, RAS. Yeah, yeah. yeah so <laughs> yeah pretty good um it's james hurst the tackle yeah. from new orleans yeah um a guy that i again i didn't know he existed but now they do have Ramcheck and they do have Penning. Now, do I think Penning will start and dominate day one? Not really, but you do have a first round pick invested in him. And at some point, he does need to see the field. Would they get rid of Hurst? Probably not, um, but you never know. Now, he does have two years left on his deal. So he'll be a 2024 free agent, but it only costs about $3 million a year over the next two years, which is fine because, you know, you can get out of that contract by the time Herbert's new money starts kicking in. To me, like almost any tackle name you could bring up to me, I'll take 18 pressures and one sack in true pass sets over 48 pressures and eight sacks in true pass sets. Granted, on 200 more blocking reps for Norton, but still. So, you know, Hurst pass blocking efficiency on true pass sets is 96.1. Norton's was 91.4. So I'll take that because that's an upgrade. So you have your connection to Lombardi, to Nugent, to Will Clapp as well. You know, he's, he's a known commodity to those people. Um, it does give you some stability. You know, he's played 2,000 left tackle snaps, 1,500 left guard snaps, 800 right tackle snaps. He played all four spots just this past year. So I, there's something you can do there. Is he an exciting name? No, but I am desperate, desperate for anything that's better <laughs> than the project failures so far that have been Pipkins and Norton. And people keep telling me to have faith, have faith, have faith. I can't with these two but i I will be praying for it and i'll be there in the stands week one cheering as one of these guys probably blocks you know crosby or whatever for 70 snaps a game again but man i'd love an upgrade and james hurst is a guy i've never heard of before 
Uh, he's an older veteran with a 0.48 RAS score. But by go. golly, him at football, <laughs> it's still better than Norton and Pipkins. And I will take anything at this point. Yeah, from a skill set perspective and from a production perspective, he kind of uh, has a lot of similarities to like a Billy Turner kind of player. Uh, I'm not super familiar with what Billy Turner's RAS score is. I would imagine it's a lot higher than 0.48, but uh, hey, you know, he's turned it, you know, he's turned that weakness into a, a pretty successful NFL career. So I would be in favor. I thought about mentioning here uh, Landon Young from the Saints as mm. well. Uh, he, he's kind of more of another project. So that's kind of why I went with uh, Jawan Taylor, who we've we've seen. Uh, obviously a lot more production and film on. So Landon Young, I think, could be potentially somebody to keep an eye on. Like if the mm. if the Saints decide to only keep the three offensive tackles and they cut Landon Young, maybe the Chargers kind of put a waiver claim in there and bring him in for a, a practice squad spot. But um, yeah, the Saints, obviously uh, a connection to keep an eye on. Yeah. All right, we'll go back to Tyler here. We'll, go, we'll circle back the other way around. So Tyler, who is your uh, second trade target here? Uh, I'll throw an honorable mention because it'll never happen, but it's the greatest idea that will never happen. It's Dalton Reisner. Um, apparently, everyone's thinking yes. of shipping him for some reason. Interesting. Um, you know, Broncos wire, you know, had the Broncos trading Reisner. They're starting, you know, Glasgow and Miners for some sign reason. Sign me up, man. If he's available, Seriously. sign me the hell up. Yep. Like, literally everything about that is perfect, except for the fact that it's the Broncos and they would nice. never do it, <laughs> I think. But you never know. Like, if you're going to get nothing for him in a year and you don't really need to start him, which is dumb, but whatever. Um, anyway, so that's that's my honorable mention, which would be amazing. It just will never happen. Yeah. Um, I was going through this. There's almost nothing else outside of tackle that really seems to make any sense. I don't even really feel this makes sense, but I had to find another name. That's Daryl Henderson, the running back for the Rams. Yeah. Why would you trade for a running back? Dude, I don't know. But have you seen <laughs> Roundtree and Kelly? I did the... So we were going to do running back rankings today, and I went through the stats and did all that and whatnot. And Kelly and Roundtree are have to be bottom five in every single category possible. It's almost like right tackle situation. I'll take <laughs> anything. I'll take anything. Seriously, where's Brandon Oliver? We talked about Danny Woodhead. He's 37. Yeah. I'm sure he can still play. He's you know, in professional Henderson. golfer shape. You know, sign him up. Let's go. <laughs> Let's see, you Put know. James Hurst at running back. <laughs> yeah, he's got, he's We're not that desperate, Alex. Sure. We're not that desperate. Uh, I don't know. Roundtree and Kelly, we might be. <laughs> So anyway, speaking of slow running backs, uh, the Rams did draft Kyron Williams, who broke his foot, uh, but, you know, yeah. he's there. They did invest a pick in Jake Funk. Um, of the 45 running backs that I did rank statistically, um, Henderson is in is fourth in the percent of runs over 10 yards, 12th in the frequency of runs over 10 yards, and sixth in PBE. So listen, I'm not looking to for a 1,500-yard running back here by any means, but listen... Right. I would love another piece to this. Listen, I'm sure the Rams would also love to keep Henderson as well, and they probably will, but he was mentioned in a couple of trade articles. Um, again, that's just speculation by fans and sites, but it is there. It's an upgrade. I'll take it. It's a mildly known commodity as well. Late, 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 late day three pick. Have at it. Yeah, you know, hopefully, uh, or, or potentially in this scenario, hopefully Sean McVay would uh, throw his former guy a bone in uh, Brandon Stady. So I, I like that idea. I thought about bringing up a running back as well um, because I really want the Chargers to have uh, like a third different 
body type, if you will, somebody that obviously gives you a little bit more explosive playability, some pass catching ability. Although Isaiah Spiller and his dad posted that uh, video yesterday of uh, Spiller making a nice little route and catch. But um, I, I do think the Chargers could stand to add some more receiving ability, more speed into the room. I mean, we're talking ourselves into Kevin Marks being like the potential undrafted free agent choice because uh, he's like slightly faster than <laughs> Larry Roundtree. So I think that's a, that's absolutely a good one there. Yeah. Alex, you want to give yours? Oh, okay. I don't know if we were going back around, but I'm fine with that. Um, I'm going to go with Brandon Staley's favorite position, linebacker. Uh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Let's do it. All right. So I went, I don't not outside the box, but this is a guy who had an interception and a sack on Justin Herbert last year. I went with Minnesota Vikings linebacker, Eric Kendricks. Um, so, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. That's okay. a good play, too. Yeah, you went no, for the big, big swing at linebacker then. So the, okay, yeah, this could be considered a big swing, but uh, now that might seem like too good of a player, right? Like for the Chargers to go get. But here's the Vikings situation or scenario: they have one million dollars in cap space available next season, and they just hired a new GM and a new coach, um, and are probably in a spot with Kirk where. Of course, they're not bad enough to tank, and also they're not really good enough to be contenders, but they're probably going to work the middle a little bit uh, these next two years. And I think considering he's a cut candidate next year, his contract is a guaranteed or non-guaranteed $10 million. Um, they can cut him and save, you know, I, th- I think it's $11 million in base salary, and then they can cut him uh, and save $10 million. So if he's already a cut candidate for them next year, in order to open up cap space, if they cut him next year, they're not going to receive any, you know, comp pick uh, compensation. So if you're the Chargers, you might just kind of jump in a year early. You toss him a fifth or sixth round pick, I think, in 2023. uh, And you basically get a rental linebacker for a year and you can decide if you like him to move forward with him next year. uh, Also at a cap hit of about nine and a half million uh, after potential restructure, um, or you can cut him and then restart fresh there. Or if Kenneth Murray takes a leap this year, um, I, I think it just gives you a lot of flexibility. So, plus we've talked about linebackers an area where they're kind of hoping for a miracle at this point. Um, you're hoping for a Kenneth Murray breakout season. You're hoping Troy Reader doesn't have to play too many snaps. And Kyle Van Noy obviously helps a little bit. He's going to be splitting his time between linebacker and edge in some role. But if you get a guy for a year that I think can stabilize uh, the linebacker group for a team that is supposed to be making, you know, a playoff run, a Super Bowl push, I think he's a guy that really stabilizes that defense. uh, And you don't have to expect so much out of Kenneth Murray. And also if Kenneth Murray were to get hurt again, you don't feel his loss nearly as much um, if Eric Hendricks is on this team. So this is a bit of a big swing, especially when you're adding, you know, a $10 million player, I guess, so close to training camp. But the Chargers can certainly absorb that uh, cap hit, at least right now. And they have plenty of options next year, depending on what you want to do. Um, I just think he's easily also would be their best coverage linebacker. Um, They don't really have those uh, as the roster stands right now. Drew Tranquil, kind of okay in coverage. Um, but everyone else is, is pretty spotty in that regard. 
So not that I'm expecting the Chargers linebackers to go full Gus Bradley and be matched up on Marquez Valdez-Scantling all the time. But I do think you yeah. need linebackers to, uh, to cover. I think you just need a stabilizing force in the linebacker group in general. Again, file this under, I don't think this is going to happen. <laughs> One, because right. he's a linebacker. And two, because Telesco's probably not going to give up that capital. But I thought it was interesting just given the position the Vikings are in and the fact that they're probably going to move on for him uh, from him next year anyway, considering their financial situation. You can kind of entice them, give up a pick, and in return get a really solid linebacker. Um, and suddenly that position doesn't seem like nearly as much of a problem anymore. No, Eric Hendricks would be by far their best linebacker. And I and even if he's on the decline, like I I have been rewatching last season, mostly focusing in on Joey Bosa because I wanted to watch Bosa and Mac, but you know, you're watching other positions, of course, as things unfold and the linebacker play and the potential for next year or this upcoming season, of course, uh, is not great. So the Chargers really need Drew Tranquil to be healthy and they really need Kenneth Murray to find his stride or they could be in some big, big trouble. And like kind of like low key, I feel like there is an argument to be made that the linebacker position is more of a concern on the roster than the right tackle is because you can hide right tackle Absolutely. a little bit more than linebacker. So um, they they really are in a tough spot from that perspective of Kenneth Murray does not figure it out. So I, I totally get that. $10 million, I, I would assume you're probably asking Minnesota to take some of that cap on uh, for this season, similar to how the Browns are doing with Baker Mayfield, which is just kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think this team could absolutely stand to add another linebacker uh, if Brandon Staley actually liked linebackers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that definitely is that. I, I don't, like you said, I file that under things that won't happen for sure. But still, like if we're just talking about it as something that could happen, you know, Staley did reach out to, I believe, Harrison Smith to ask about Ficken. And I believe if you have Ryan Ficken on your team now, so there is some connection there. Again, Staley preaches known commodities, and I suppose in some way that helps you. But yeah, I, I just, it, it almost feels like something that they would do if he's still on the Vikings next year, maybe, because then you could trade for him. Okay. It's an $11.4 million cap hit and then let him walk after that. I just, I, I feel like, they're going to do the, if it doesn't pan out with Murray, they're going to do the same thing like they did with Tillery, where it's like, we're going to give him a year, we'll let him see what happens, and then we can kind of bring in a Morgan Fox type. Now, Kendricks would be more than a Morgan Fox type if you trade for him, but I don't know. But like you said, file it into things that won't happen, but they, they do desperately need a linebacker. I just didn't look at any linebacker trades because I just think they're stuck with what they have. Sure, sure. I think that's fair. Um, all right, so my trade target that I wanted to bring up today... Uh, like I mentioned, I, I thought of a few players. I typed up notes on a few players. And I ultimately settled on uh, Mr. Darius Slayton of the New York Football Giants. He's a wide receiver, oh, okay. of course. Um, he is on the final year of his rookie contract. So he he is pretty cheap. He's uh, he got a cap it this year of $900,000. Um, I think he is a restricted free agent after this year. For some reason, I don't know if the, the Giants cut him at some point or whatever. According to Spot Rack or sorry excuse me according to over the cap he's under contract next year as well for 2.5 million dollars so again not super sure what's on the on the on the books there but uh brad spielberger mentioned him as a possible training camp cut because the the giants wide receiver room is 
I don't want to say stacked. That's the wrong word because they're <laughs> not any good garbage. players. <laughs> <laughs> But they've invested a lot of other resources in the wide receiver position. They, of course, have Kenny Galladay. They extended Sterling Shepard, and they drafted Kadarius Tony and Wandell Robinson in the past two off seasons. So it's been a busy wide receiver <laughs> transaction center, as opposed to it being like good receiver room. Uh, but it's been busy, so um, not necessarily a sure role for Darius Slayton. Um, and the Giants are in rebuild mode, right? Like we know that they have made some cuts. Of course, James Bradbury being the most notable one and their financial situation next year is not great. So the Giants would only save $2 million. But if you're talking about flipping a conditional fifth round pick or, or sixth round pick or something like that, I feel like a rebuilding team like the Giants would take that on. So from a play perspective, uh, of course, had a great rookie season for him, had 740 yards, eight touchdowns. Everybody was kind of expecting him to take a, a bigger leap in year two, and then ultimately didn't happen, uh, did struggle with some drops and things like that. Uh, but he had the 15th highest ADOT in the league last year, still a very effective deep threat. He was a low 4-4 guy coming out in, in the draft, so... I think his long-term financial flexibility that the Chargers would gain, you're not necessarily taking on a huge cap hit. You know, we kind of messaged back and forth about Robbie Anderson today after the, mm -hmm. they, the Panthers traded for Baker Mayfield, but he has a big cap hit over the next two years. He's also flirted with retirement. So Darius Slayton is a potential, um, not long-term, but short-term replacement for Jalen Guyton because he's under contract next year as well. Um, and at that point, you know, you're paying $2.5 million for your deep threat. If he hits, has a great season with Justin Herbert, then you're talking about comp pick potential there as well. So I think that's a low risk, high reward deal for somebody to potentially challenge Jalen Guyton for the role of deep threat. If not, you have your Jalen Guyton replacement for next year. So hard to judge because the numbers are, especially this past year, not great. And like, if you just look at the numbers right. as a player on the decline, but it's tough when one person has Daniel Jones and whatever the heck they had to, like in and out of the lineup yeah. last year, and yeah. one has Justin Herbert. Uh, don't like that the drop rate is significantly worse than Guyton's. Yes. Um, yes. I, I want to see. I mean, I would prefer to just see Guyton get the shot because I feel like sure. he's a player that's on the ascent, and I feel like Slayton. But again, different quarterbacks. I just, I'm not feeling it. But that's just numbers in which don't always tell the whole picture. Yeah. Um, I feel like Darius Slayton is kind of one of those better in theory than he is in reality players sometimes. Sure. And, sure. I, you know, there is a bit of a, uh, obviously, a salary cap. I mean, what he would bring to this team for that value is fine. Um, yeah, I just kind of like Tyler. I don't think there's a massive difference between him and Jalen Guyton, and you can argue that Guyton certainly kind of is the better deep threat. Um, but yeah, the Giants wide receiver room is interesting. Uh, you know, figure out what to do with Kadarius Tony uh, as well, which they yeah. still figured out. Yeah, make a decision on Daniel Jones. So good luck. Yeah, you know, I, I think you know if you're talking to me about adding a receiver, like again, like. I think you have three or four really good wide receiver options. So if you're adding one, I feel like, again, you kind of need to add, um, you know, a, a different kind of body type than you have on the roster and the chargers outside of Guyton don't really have 
a, a speed threat. So um, Marquez Callaway was another one I kind of wrote some notes on from the Saints. Mm-hmm. There's that connection there. Again, not necessarily an upgrade over Jalen Guyton, but uh, he would at least give them a second speed option. So um, some interesting options there. We have seen Tom Telesco trade for a wide receiver midseason. Of course, it was Dontrell Inman. So take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. But hey, man, we're, uh, it has happened before. Did he trade for I- him or traded away? I think he did both, didn't he? Didn't he trade him away and then trade for him? I think he signed him later. I think he was just available. Okay. He, I might be wrong on that. I'm not sure. All right. Well, but, well Tyler there's been wide receiver up. movement, and there, the word trade was involved for sure. <laughs> I know there has been a trade acquisition with Dontre Elliman. I thought that he traded him to Chicago and then traded for him when he was with, like, Washington or something Maybe. Like that. I don't remember. Um, I have a wide receiver who will cost zero dollars in 2022, but eleven million dollars in 2023. Calvin Ridley for <laughs> a fifth or sixth round pick, you stash him away, and then you bring him in. He promises not to gamble anymore, and then suddenly you probably have the best trio in football. <laughs> not gonna happen, but. I, I mean, as far as character concerns go, it's certainly not the worst thing that you could. Yeah, you know, I th- I think gambling were uh, better than stealing a bike. <laughs> <laughs> I'll need a presentation um, on that one. I don't know. I don't know yet. Well, yeah. yeah <laughs> so NV Talent asking about uh, running back situation. Uh, of course, we were talking about the Giants. He wants to know what we would think about uh, targeting Saquon. What's his? This is the last year of his deal, right? It's his uh, fifth year. Um, is he? Yeah, because he was in the same. Old? He was in the same draft with Darnold and Mayfield. Um, so what's his fifth year option? I don't know what the money is. Hey, look. I will say that he didn't make the top ten of running backs. Now, granted, he played for the Giants and he played hurt and all that, yada yada. Um, yeah. Of the forty-five running backs I have ranked, he's forty-third uh so probably not yeah so he's on the he's currently on the fourth uh year of his rookie deal he has oh next gosh. year would be his fifth year option uh his cap number this year is 10 million dollars and his cap number next year is seven no wait this would be his fifth year option right it's 20- I was just looking at over the cap dude oh wait <laughs> sorry uh i'm trying to think through it yeah no i guess Wait, no, I was reading it wrong. I'm sorry. You're right. This is this year is his fifth year option. I'm sorry. Yeah. How much I is that for? My mistake. It's... Um, I have to bring it back up. It was loading. Oh. Oh, seven million. Yeah. Um. Like I, I just, I think if he's still at high upside, it'd be one thing, but. I watched more Saquon than I care to watch for because I watched more Giants than I care to admit. Um, he just looked slower. Like occasionally, uh, even against the Chargers, like one time he cracked like one run to the outside. Um, but I don't know. Like I, I think his knees are kind of cooked. I mean, I could see next year in free agency if he sort of like has another middling year, like if you want to like take a chance on it. But um I probably would not give up draft capital for him, especially because they already have 18 running backs on the roster as is. 
And yeah. you, you're kind of already carving out that RB2 role for Isaiah Spiller. If they yeah. didn't draft Isaiah Spiller, I think that would probably be a more serious consideration. Yeah, yeah, that's my thing is I'm, I'm trying to find a third capable running back as yeah. opposed to, you know, adding like a, a Austin Eckler compliment. So um, mm-hmm. I did want to mention, you know, the Miami Dolphins have, they do have kind of a, a deep stable of running backs setting in the training camp. Uh, Mike McDaniel brought over all his old friends from San Francisco um, and Arizona, including Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert. So they signed Sonny Michelle as well. And they also have Miles Gaskin. So they, unless they keep you all four, you know, but uh, some, some yeah. situation to uh, certainly keep an eye on. I feel like if the, what would the odds be if the so if Larry Rancher and Joshua Kelly kind of stink it up in uh training you have camp to Dustin again, Jackson? Huh? Oh, nothing. Trying or, to anticipate. I mean, I I would not be opposed to bringing Justin Jackson back, but if those two struggle, what are the odds we see them kind of explore an external addition at that point in terms of someone gets cut or bring somebody back or bring someone in who's not on a roster? I think, you know, those that's certainly something to mm. keep an eye on for sure. I think it's just harder now because they have Spiller at RB2. So, like, if if Spiller were to struggle early on, then maybe that's a situation. But if Roundtree and Kelly struggle, they're kind of your RB3, and then the other one's going to be a healthy scratch. You know, to uh, I mean, at least if you're keeping four running backs in the roster, it probably plays out that way. So, I mean, <laughs> are you really exploring external options for your RB3 not living up to par? I mean, yeah, again, I think that's different if they just – roll the dice and we're like Kelly and Roundtree are, are RB2 and RB3 this year, but I don't think they would do much else other than like promote Kevin Marks from the practice squad, promote Buddy Brown from the practice squad. If, if those guys aren't, you know, showing the, the level of skill or effort they would like, but I mean, they're also not mm-hmm. going to get that many opportunities just based on Spiller being here. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm just pulling for the Justin Jackson reunion, just going through all his numbers yeah. and where he stacks yeah. up. He's like in the middle of all the running backs in the league last year, ahead of some guys in many categories. We second in breakaway rate and you know third in yards per attempt. Like there's a there's a really good rotational running back out there. Granted, he can't stay healthy, and they're just gonna let Roundtree and, and Kelly be the RB three, RB fours, whatever. So. I'd, I'd cut Roundtree and Kelly tomorrow and sign Justin Jackson. <laughs> I'm doing it in a second. And then you suddenly have a uh, Neckler, Spiller, Jackson, you know, trio, and that, and you have Brown and Marks on the practice squad. Like, I think that would be a great running back rotation. Um, but they yeah. seem married to Kelly and Roundtree. Yeah, I feel much better about having Justin Jackson as your RB3 because he can actually catch the ball and, and he's an athlete. So. A good athlete, I should say. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show 
by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Um, all right. So we'll uh, we'll move on here. We did have another segment that we wanted to talk about. And I always say this, but I didn't think we would talk about the trade situations for that long. But I uh, wanted to talk about some potential weak points of the Chargers AFC West division rivals. Um, of course, we're talking about the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chiefs. And I think it's only fair that we talk about the Kansas City Chiefs first. Of course, they mm-hmm. are kind of the class of the division. Uh, so I'll go ahead and, and list my group here. Uh, I, I'm saying the defensive line. Um, and I think this is, is, you know, unlike the Chargers who would do a 3-4, I think you can include defensive tackles and edge rushers here. If you want to only limit it to defensive line, that's fine with me too. I don't think the edge rushers are very good either. Um, so really it's, it's still kind of Chris Jones and the Jonesettes. Like there's not really anybody else in that room that I would trust if I were a Chiefs fan. And they, you know, last year they had Jaron Reed, who's a good defensive tackle, very serviceable, uh, player to play alongside him, can rush the passer, stop the run, all that good stuff. They lost him in free agency and they didn't really replace him. So, um, the defensive tackle room in particular for me is a big concern would be a big concern if I am a Chiefs fan. Uh, you're also talking about it because Chris Jones doesn't necessarily stop the run at a high rate. Uh, you know, if you watch the Chiefs on film quite a bit, he doesn't really play a ton on first down. He's more of a second and third down player, so the Chiefs can keep him fresh to rush the passer. So if you wanted to include the edge rushers here, I think that is fair, although they did draft George Karloftis. But I think... Uh, the defensive tackles specifically for the Chiefs would be a big concern. And I think they're really relying on, you know, their linebackers to kind of make up the ground there. And they have great linebackers as much as I hate to, to look <laughs> at that group. So, you know, it's not yeah. the worst idea in the world. But, you know, Chris Jones and a bunch of uh, scrubs is not necessarily inspiring a ton of confidence in a defensive tackle room for me. Yeah, let me build right off of that because you and I had the same idea. I just kind of flipped it and talked about how to attack the weakness, and that's run between the tackles. The Chiefs were a team that were far better. It literally goes against you know common logic. Like It should be that outside should be a little bit more efficient, inside should be less efficient, but the Chiefs were far better at defending outside runs You know, with yeah. teams having a 41% and 48% success rate off of left and right tackle. But in the middle, like you talked about with the interior defensive linemen, you know, off a of left guard, right guard, teams jump to 60 and 63% success rate. So, you know, you have Filey, you have Lindsay, you have Zion, you have Isaiah Spiller. Eckler's success rate versus the Chiefs is actually better running inside as well. So go ham, go after it. I completely agree with your assessment of their defensive line. Yeah, um, I think it'll be interesting to see how much Carl Loftus contributes in the beginning because I do like him as a prospect, um, as an edge defender, but... Uh, that that interior does not spark the most confidence outside of obviously Chris Jones, who's given the Chargers uh, plenty yeah. of problems in the past. Sure. Um, 
I'm going to go for a different part of their defense. Um, obviously, the biggest part of the well, no, I was going to say biggest part of the Chiefs offseason. Then there was that whole Tyree kill thing. Uh, the second biggest part of the Chiefs offseason was losing Tyron Matthew. Um, I don't think people talk about that quite as much as they should. Um, and they're replacing him with Justin Reed, who was all right uh, last year, had a better 2020 than 2021, but regressed in a couple key categories in 2021, specifically coverage. One of the lowest coverage grades uh, of any safety last year with 45.3 on PFF. Um, yeah. So again, that's not like the end all be all, but I, you know, also allowed a 111.2 passer rating um, and a whopping 21.4 yards per reception. So he was kind of getting low-key cooked last year. And I just think taking away the veteran leadership of what Tyron Matthew brought to that team, how he led that defense down to down, um, I think that's going to take more adjustment than any of the changes the Chiefs made on offense. Obviously, people talk about them losing Tyreek Hill um, and, and that conversation and replacing with Juju Smith and Marquez Valdez-Scanling. Um, but I think they'll kind of be fine on offense for the most part. But like Steven said, their defensive line combined with the fact that they lost a, a team leader and a defensive leader in Tyron Matthew and we're replacing him with a younger, albeit a much more experienced and a bit of a regressing Justin Reed. I, I think that's a big question mark on their team. Yeah, there's yeah, definitely yeah. exploitable weaknesses in the additions that they've had. I mean, I love Trent McDuffie, but I feel really bad for him starting as basically their CB1 in the AFC West. That sounds like a nightmare yeah. for him. You know, there's there's physical limitations there. Brian Cook, love him so much. And, you know, we were all fans of him, but there's physical limitations there. Justin Reed getting older and the numbers didn't look great either. There's limitations there. Leo Chanel in coverage. Again, love Leo Chanel, absolutely, but there are limitations in coverage. There's some physical limitations to a lot of these guys in many ways, especially in coverage. I think the Chargers could exploit. Yeah, I think from a Chiefs perspective, right? Like they they had a clear goal in mind over the last two seasons that they wanted to get younger and more athletic in the back seven. And I think they have done that, right? You're talking about a linebacker trio of Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, and Leo Chanel. That's a very, very good young, you know, high upside linebacker core. Um, unfortunately, uh, I love it. And I think it's, you know, I'm very jealous of that linebacker core. So, um, that's that. And then you have obviously Trent McDuffie, Brian cook, they drafted Joshua Williams as well. Um, and you're talking about Juan Thornhill, Justin Reed, kind of replacing Tyron Matthew and, and dirty Dan Sorensen. So uh, I, I think if this group is healthy and, and you're talking about McDuffie and Brian cook, maybe hitting their stride a little bit then you're you, they'll have some growing pains early on, of course, but um, there's no question that they are younger and more athletic. It, it's just a matter of how will they gel? How will Trent McDuffie handle being on an island in the AFC West, like you're mentioning, uh, Tyler? And, of course, uh, their defensive coordinator, whose uh, name is escaping me right now. Um, Spagnola. Spagnola, yeah. He loves to blitz, man, so... Uh, McDuffie is going to have a baptism by fire as soon as he hits the field in week one. So I, mm -hmm. I think the Chiefs defense long term is going to be better than we've seen. But this year could certainly be a bit of a struggle for them. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we'll move down to the Denver Broncos, kind of the darling of the offseason, if you will, from the media perspective. Of course, everybody loves Russell Wilson. 
I was listening to uh, Colin Cowherd today while I was doing some work for this episode, and uh, he thinks that the Broncos are the uh, second best team in the league alongside the Buffalo Bills. So there's that. Um, I will say there are a few different weaknesses again that I feel like you could target. Um, if they're if they're trading Dalton Rizzer, man, that offensive line is going to go from good to mm-hmm. bad. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. I, I wrote down their safety position. I know that they have Justin Simmons, who's one of the league's best. I, I think he's one of the league's more underrated defensive players. Um, but the rest of their safety room, if you will, you know, they brought back Kareem Jackson coming off his worst season in his career in terms of his safety play declining across the board, showing signs of uh, athletic decline as well. And uh, the other players behind him are Caden Stearns, who played 311 snaps last year during his rookie season. Uh, PJ Locke, who's a former Steelers undrafted free agent with 33 career snaps to his name. And then fifth round draft pick Jamar Johnson, who has zero snaps to his name. So this group outside of Justin Simmons is old and very inexperienced. And you're talking about them trying to you know, adapt or kind of maintain their play in the in a Vic Fangio kind of scheme. You're going to be asking a lot of Caden Stearns, who's your third safety, potentially being safety two. What's up with Jamar Johnson, PJ Locke? So I think outside of Justin Simmons, the safety group in particular is kind of where if I'm playing the Broncos, like I'm going at those safeties as much as I mm-hmm. possibly can. Yeah, I'd have to look at how some of these safeties held up last year. We've seen, even Justin Simmons is amazing. We've seen with Derwin James, like, you have yeah. one really good safety. That's awesome. Go after the other guy. And it hasn't really worked out well for the Chargers to have, I mean, now they have Adderley, <laughs> but, like, there were some moments where Derwin James is fantastic, but there's only so much he can do. I, I'm not, I wouldn't go out of my way to say that the Broncos' defense or even their secondary is going to be bad, but there's a transition here. It's not quite the same. It was so successful last year now it just it won't quite be the same there's really going to be an inexperience around this roster it's going to take an adjustment for sure yeah um i I'll, I'll be curious to see how their transition goes and just how quickly um they get acclimated to everything uh, i mean tra- transitioning from big fangio to nathaniel hackett obviously um i i'm curious to see how quickly that all takes place and i'm gonna go I'm going to talk about their offense, uh, not Russell Wilson. I could talk about Russell Wilson decline for hours. <laughs> I do think it's going to happen. But do they really have any skill players that scare you? Like, I don't really think they do. Javante Williams, yeah, I mean, I think he'll get his against the Chargers. He terrifies me. I'll tell you that right yeah. now. Javante <laughs> Williams Javante is really Javante Williams good. is the scary one, particularly because of how the Chargers run defense was last year. Um, so if you do upgrade that, then, you know, I, I don't think he's as much of a concern, but I don't know. Like a lot of people talk about their offenses, if it's going to explode and I'm like, they're counting on Jerry Judy, who we've kind of been waiting to break out for forever. And granted his quarterback's been Drew Locke and his quarterback's been, uh, you know, everybody in Denver from you know, Teddy Bridgewater, who actually was pretty good last year by the stats. Um, I just don't Corlin Sutton's fine. No one would call him like a top 10 receiver though. And Russ is coming out of Seattle, you know, constantly having two guys who hovered between the top 10 and top 15 and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Um, So I think the transition from that to the weapons that he has now, um, Albert O is fine. They drafted Greg Dolchich, but there's no one in their wide receiver room who really scares me. And maybe I'll 
you know, take back these words five months from now when, you know, Jerry Judy puts Michael Davis on skates or something. But I'm not really all that concerned about their weapons. I do think Russell Wilson, of course, will make them look better simply because he's better than Drew Locke. But because yeah. of how the Chargers have upgraded their secondary, because they have J.C. Jackson and all those guys, I'm... I think that in this division, you kind of need like a killer weapon, you know, either at tight end or with your wide receivers. I think the Chiefs wide receivers and weapons are better. I think the Raiders weapons and are are overall better than the Broncos. I think the Chargers weapons are better as well. So I feel like the Broncos, granted, it's the AFC West, the division stack. I feel like this is weirdly one of the lesser stacked AFC West teams when it comes to offense. Russell Wilson will probably change a lot for them, um, and they have enough guys to get it done. I just wonder if the not having a stacked skill group kind of ends up costing them a division that's really been an arms race for you know a year, year and a half now. Yeah, I think the I'm kind of waiting and seeing on Cortland Sutton at this point because you know we we he did tear his ACL in yeah. uh, 2019 uh, or 20. 20- 20, excuse me, 2021 is first season back from that. So I think he was on a trajectory to be a a potential wide receiver one in this league, um, you know, before he tore his ACL. So I'm kind of waiting to see if he is that much better when he's another year healthy. Um, I feel like he probably is going to be the wide receiver one in Denver. Um, Jerry Judy, obviously very talented, but he's got off field issues. He's got drop issues. So that is again a lot of potential there, but there's a lot of boomer bust potential as well. So yeah, um, really like the only one that I think could become a, a legitimate star is Sutton if he is yeah, able to kind of get back to his former self. But in terms of like the AFC West, like of course you're uh you know a little bit more concerned, <laughs> obviously, about the Raiders skill set uh and, and skill group with Devontae Adams and Darren Waller and Hunter Renfo. So um I don't know if I would necessarily go and call it a weak point or a, a, a yeah. group that you could kind of, you know, exploit, but I, I get what you're saying. It's definitely a concern for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You, you guys really covered most of it. Um, the only thing I'll really add to here is that you talk about the Russell Wilson decline. He's going to the wrong division and this defense. Yeah. Like, I, I saw everyone's comments on Arjun's post about, you know, Russell Wilson coming to the AFC West and all this cover two stuff, the Fangio scheme and whatnot. But, you know, the Chargers should be on paper. They don't have a player who I think is as good as Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey in 2020. But I do think as a whole, when healthy, their defense is going to be better. And, you know, listen, where is it? Where's my where's my stat? Um, in 2020, Brandon Staley and Patrick Graham were responsible uh, for three of Wilson's four worst EPA per play performances. And like, here we go. Like, we're going to see what Russell Wilson can do. And if you look at the stats, almost nobody throws it deep down the field more than Russell Wilson. And now you really have to rope that in. You can't quite do that against, you know, this Chargers defense, fingers crossed. And, <laughs> you know, and he's, you know, historically struggled against these kind of defenses. And Staley yeah. kind of seems to have his number. So I don't want to say Russell Wilson is their exploitable weakness by any means, but he's facing something that he has struggled against for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I think you're one of the things that Russell Wilson is going to have to do is is figure out how to throw the ball over the middle with this Green mm-hmm. Bay scheme that does a lot of stick concepts, that does a lot of mesh concepts. And of, of course, you know, Nathaniel Hackett could kind of, you know, 
take those or dial those back a little bit to play to the strengths of his quarterback because he's not Aaron Rodgers at this point. But, you know, the, the Packers would kill teams over the middle. Of course, a lot of that due to Devontae Adams. But, um, you know, it is it is going to be something to keep an eye on. So we'll, uh, we'll move on, of course, to the Raiders. Looks like we got a Raider fan in the chat. So uh, I'm sure he's going to be very happy with what we have to say about his team. So, uh, Tyler, we'll start with you here. And then uh, Alice can kind of build off of your point. What's your uh, weak point of the Las Vegas Raiders? Like I said in my tweet, I tried very hard to not just circle the entire secondary <laughs> and say that was it. Um, but I, I found this little tidbit that was interesting. So Derek Carr's three worst EPA averages versus coverages, the only three that are negative from last year, were cover three, cover four, and cover six. And in week four, guess which three coverages the Chargers ran more than anything else? Cover three, four, and six. In week 18, they used significantly more cover three. Not sure why. I don't know who was available in week four versus week 18, but... You know, but it's not like everyone ran this against the Raiders and Carr struggled. In fact, you know, cover three, you know, after cover three, the two most used coverages against the Raiders were cover one and cover two. But the Chargers specifically against Carr ran the most three, four and six. It just so happens that Carr is the worst over the whole year against those. So uh, it's more of an interesting tidbit and a weakness that I, I yeah. think the Char- I'll have to look at how the Chargers, you know, if you ask me gun to my head what the Chargers ran. I don't think I would have given you those answers, um, but here we go. Like that's what they ran against the Raiders against Derek Carr. It succeeded. Um, it is a different offensive coordinator. It is a different system. There are different players there. So things might obviously change, but I thought that was an interesting little stat to bring up. Yeah, no, I think that that's, I'll, I'll be, we're going to learn who Derek Carr kind of is this year. Um, I mean, obviously we know that he's been a good quarterback and he's proven himself, but uh, I'll be curious to see how he, he fares against these defenses he's going to be going against, uh, just particularly because all of them, eh, kind of except his own, got better this year. Um, so that's going to be interesting to watch. I'm going to go with their head coach, who I think is a fraud and a phony. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've said this many times. Um, I love it. What does Josh McDaniels do well? Like, <laughs> I don't get the fascination with him. Um but the Patriots get hired. Yeah, he, he does get that well. He, he must be a great interviewer. It must or be interviewee, interviewer. I should say. Um, the Patriots' last three years on offense, and, and this is a year, including a year where they had Tom Brady as their starting quarterback, uh, 25th, 25th, and 26th, respectively, in offense in the NFL. Um, I just. And he, this is the guy who's supposed to like figure out the Raiders now. Maybe he doesn't have to do so much, right? Like you have Darren Waller there, you have Derek Carr, you have Hunter Renfro. Perhaps it ends up just not being that difficult. But um, the Patriots' offense has been stuck in the mud for longer than I think people uh, talk about. And also, this is a guy who, at his last coaching job or his last head coaching job, I should say was caught in a cheating scandal. And after he was caught in the cheating scandal, suddenly forgot how to coach and the Broncos started losing games. Um, I don't know. I, I thought he was a really interesting hire um, by them. And I guess they're trying to recreate Patriots West out there. Uh, good luck in your mission. <laughs> but I think that the Raiders kind of had a good thing going. Uh, obviously after firing John Gruden, they got better uh, as an offense uh, and overall as a team statistically, and then decided to fire that coaching staff and bring in an unproven one. 
Um, it's Mark Davis's team. He could do whatever he wants with it. I guess thanks for firing the people who brought you some success. But um, if I'm a Raiders fan, I would be pretty concerned at the Josh McDaniels hire. And um, I, I just, I, I'm confident in Derek Carr and what they can do on offense. But uh, I don't think that they've really brought in any offensive guru who I think is going to elevate them to the level of where the Chargers have been at or, you know, a good enough offense to compete with the Chiefs aside from a few shootout games. And then as Tyler mentioned, in conjunction with their, you know, lack of an offensive focus with their coach, their defense is really bad and it's clearly the worst one in the AFC West. So um, I, I think Josh McDaniels combined with their defense it's it's why in theory I would actually like to pick the Broncos to finish in fourth because of the discussion we just had, but I think I would pick the Raiders. Yeah, so I mean, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, offensively, I think the Raiders will still be very, very good. I mean, Josh McDaniels is probably a very poor manager of a locker room, but I still feel like from an offensive schematic standpoint, like he's going to play to Derek Carr's strengths. And again, they have arguably the best supporting cast in the league around him with, you know, Tamonte Adams, Darren Waller, who's top three tight end Hunter Renfro has been a thousand yard receiver. So I think their offense will be fine. I think it's going to be highly volatile because their offensive line is atrocious outside of Colton Miller. And that is certainly a, a group that I think could certainly be a, a weak point to target. Um, I, I kind of figured that you guys would take, secondary and offensive line off the board. So I didn't prepare for that. <laughs> um, I, I'm just saying run defense because I, I think we all kind of overvalued a little bit how, you know, smart Brandon Saley was and how much of a, a good scheme that he's going to bring. And everybody's mm. just going to kind of pick the scheme right up and it's going to be a seamless transition and the defense is going to be good. There's Derwin James, there's Joey Bosa, there's, uh, obviously we kind of talked to ourselves in Kenneth Murray, you know, heading into the season that didn't go well. Um, and then, you know, it turns out that a lot of these guys who are career Gus Bradley players have a hard time transitioning to a very complex scheme. Uh, of course, some of that is passing. Going, a yeah. lot of that is run defense. And I think the Raiders are going to go through a very similar transition. I think Max Crosby is a fantastic player. I think he's great against the run. I think he's a great uh, pass rusher, of course. But outside of him, I don't necessarily know if they have, like, any other elite dudes. I love Denzel Perryman. I wish I could tab him as an elite linebacker, but he just cannot stay healthy. Even last year, he played 13 games. So you're going hmm. down a depth chart of Nickel, uh, Bilal Nichols, Jonathan Hankins, Vernon Butler, and then the two rookies that they drafted, Matthew Butler and Neil Farrow, who I like, and I'm excited sure. you know, about their future. And then, you know, alongside Denzel Perryman, you have Jayon Brown or Divine Diablo or Kenny Young. There's just a lot of uncertainty there. A lot of moving parts after being in a very easy Gus Bradley scheme where it's see ball, get ball. And now you're having a lot of moving parts, a lot of different play calls, a lot of different moving uh, personnel packages. And they don't really have like a truly dominant run defender in the middle to kind of stabilize things. And that's something that the Chargers had a big time struggle with which ultimately led them to having one of the worst run defenses in the league. And I think the Raiders are going to be in for a similar transition, especially because teams are going to try and keep Derek Carr, DeMonte Adams, Darren Waller off the field and run the ball. So I think that's kind of the area that I would focus on. Yeah, it's a good call. I mean, what a awful run defense the Chargers started out with. 
kind of mildly got better, but then finished terribly with literally right down to the last game. So, yeah, I'm curious how they will transition. You're right. I didn't really think about that. Them going, we went from Bradley to different scheme. There went from Bradley, granted, not as heavily invested in his scheme because it was, it was one year with the team, but right. You know, but he was, we'll it see. was all, it was all Gus's dudes. It was Darius. That's true. It was actually and Quinton Jefferson and, yeah. and, and all these guys. Right. Yeah. And you know, like Darius Finan was probably their best defensive tackle last year. If not, you know, it was Quinton Jefferson. So I don't know, man, like I, I think the Raiders mm-hmm. defense is going to be in for a bit of uh, a, a regression, um, like similar to how we saw. And, you know, we talked about the other day when the edge rusher rankings came out from uh, Jeremy Fowler, you know, Chandler Jones, I, I think, is really making a lot of money off of that first game against Tennessee. Outside of that week one, he was pretty mediocre last year. So uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think you should be selling your stock on the Las Vegas defense. Yeah, I, I, I would sell my stock on them simply because I don't think they're very talented. I will say the one thing they do have going for them is the the Patrick Graham uh, hire, uh, just because I saw sure. what he was able to do with the Giants last year, and that was a defense uh, that was not loaded with talent um, per se. I mean, obviously you had like James Bradbury, um, and it, it was probably better than what the Raiders had going into the season, but at the same time, probably not nearly as premium edge rushing talent as the Raiders have invested in. So. I could kind of be, go either way on that. I don't think the Raiders defense is going to be good because of their secondary, but I could see it being an overall upgrade from last year simply because of the scheme change and going from a Gus defense that you kind of have to have star players to run to a defense that may play to the strengths of their players a little bit more. Um, just you know, Obviously, it's not a much more talented defense than it was last year, but I think Graham... Um, can better elevate and, and use those kind of like three, four, two and a half concepts for better success. But again, time will tell uh, on that one. I almost think they have a better defensive coach than an offensive coach. So um, maybe that <laughs> won't matter again, like when they have Devontae Adams and clearly better talent on offense. But I almost buy their defensive philosophy a little bit more. Yeah, no, I think Patrick Graham is, is a, you know, fast and rising defensive coach in this league. I think he's a, was a fantastic hire for them. I just think it's going to be an adjustment and, you know, they have some young players that I like. I think Trayvon Merrick is, is, is on his way to being a quality safety in this league. Um, Devon Diablo is a really good, you know, sub package linebacker prospect. And then, you know, the two rookie defensive tackles that they drafted, I was a big fan of as well, but it's just, I think it's, it's such a big adjustment going from Gus Bradley to, you know, this kind of diverse and versatile scheme. So um, I'm definitely expecting the Raiders uh, defense to take a step back. But uh, all right, good conversations on some trade targets. If you're just joining us uh, live, make sure and go back and uh, rewatch that. We talked about seven potential trade targets for the Chargers ahead of training camp. uh, And then just now talking about some weak points of the AFC West. So um, Alex, any uh, final thoughts before we head out for the evening? Uh, no, no final thoughts. Uh, the off season continues. The off season does continue. Uh, Alex did do a great episode of bold breakdowns talking about Justin Herbert, Philip rivers. Uh, of course, you know, that conversation that rivers had at the senior hall of fame was uh, a lot of fun to listen to. So if you missed Alex's video, please go check that out. Tyler, any, uh, final thoughts, man. Yeah, a couple of shout outs. Uh, Tim Stewart for the $10 super chat. I guess this is one of his first times catching us live. So thank you. 
And then Envy Talent sent in a super sticker as well for $10. Thank you so much. Um, for anybody who's listening who didn't see it yet, or if you're not a channel member, I uploaded my part one of the Keenan Allen versus Mike Williams series. I watched about 400 plays through week six, graded each one, charted them, haven't broken them down by route concept. So you can see who's best at yards per route run per route concept and all that sort of stuff. So that's open for Patreon supporters and YouTube channel members. So go watch it if you're a member or if you want to join up, have at it. Yeah, and the link to uh, both of those will be in the description of the video or the podcast episode. So go check those out. Tyler's doing some great stuff over there. Uh, I'm going to be working on a video about the Chargers pass rush, specifically Khalil Mack and uh, Joey Bosa coming up here in a little bit. So stay tuned for that one. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks again to uh, the fellas for the super chats today. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.